There are a lot of things in life that can cause us to be discouraged. It's something we all have to deal with. It is a reality of life. We are going to face discouragement at different times in our lives. And in Nehemiah, we find that they, too, had to deal with discouragement. Hey, life can come crashing down on us, and it will at some point in your life. Nehemiah and the people had to deal with discouragement, but what we see is is they learned how to deal with it, not just deal with it, they learned how to defeat discouragement. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we continue our study through the book of Nehemiah. Remember, what we learned in Nehemiah is that the story of Nehemiah teaches us how God wants to build our lives, His church, and His kingdom. And so if you want to have the best life, the best life is found in building God's kingdom. The blessed life, a life of meaning and purpose, is only found in building the kingdom of God. He teaches us how to build our lives. He teaches us how to build our homes, our families. He teaches us how to build the church. He teaches us how to build the kingdom. But in order to do that, if we want to build the kingdom of God, in order to do that, we've got to learn how to deal with discouragement. In order to experience that blessed life, we've got to learn how to deal with discouragement. And nothing can impact our lives, I believe, and our witness as we go about serving the Lord. Nothing can impact us greater than discouragement. And we'll see why today. We'll see the dangers of discouragement today. When we look, we see 400 years before Jesus comes. We have this story of Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king. The nation of Israel had been in exile for 70 years. The remnant had been allowed to come back. They found the city in ruins. The walls had been destroyed. The gates had been burned. About another 70 years after that, we zero in, enters Nehemiah, this cupbearer, an important job, but he was a layman, a layman that God had called and given a burden about the city of Jerusalem. He finds out about the condition of the city, that the glory of God is in reproach. That's what breaks his heart more than anything, but he is concerned about the people. So he goes back to Jerusalem. He finds that the condition is exactly the way it was described to him. He finds that the city is in ruins. He begins the work of rebuilding. We saw last week that he faces some opposition, but he pushes through that. He deals with this initial contact with the enemy. And then he continues to build. And then we pick up in chapter 4, and we see that this work has continued. He and the people are now going to face another obstacle, though. Discouragement. Look at verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had the will to keep working. It's a progress report. Last week we saw 40 different sections around the city. There are groups of people working on the wall. It's all coming together. There are no gaps. Wall-to-wall workers. We see next week we're going to learn that the wall is completed in 52 days. But at this point in chapter 4, they are at a very critical point in the build. They're halfway done. They're not finished, but they've made incredible progress. This progress report shows us that they are just at that halfway point, and it's just at the halfway point Satan attempts to attack them and discourage them from finishing the work, which, by the way, is exactly what he does in our life. When we get busy doing the work of God, at some point, Satan is going to attack us and attempt to discourage us from finishing the work that God has for us. That's exactly what he's doing here. He uses discouragement at this halfway point. All the progress 
can come to a halt right here if the nation, if the people don't deal with discouragement and learn how to overcome it. Have you ever felt discouraged in your life? Have you ever known that feeling of, of being disheartened and not knowing how you're going to move forward? Not being certain of what the outcome is going to be? Not feeling like you have the strength to move forward? That is where the people are, and if they don't learn to deal with it, they're never going to finish the job that God has given them. We also need to learn how to deal with discouragement when we encounter it. We're going to look at verses 7 through 20 this morning, and we're going to learn from Nehemiah and the people how to defeat discouragement. We all get discouraged, every one of us. Now, some people are more optimistic than others, and they don't struggle with discouragement as much as others. Some people are very pessimistic by nature, and you struggle with it a great deal. But it doesn't matter where you fall on that spectrum. At some point in your life, you've been discouraged. We've all been discouraged. And if you, by some chance, have avoided it to this point in your life, I can assure you that one day you will face discouragement. And you too, we all are going to have to learn how to defeat it, to overcome it, if we're going to finish the job, finish the mission, the build that God has given us. We're going to look this morning and learn how to deal with it. First, we need to understand this. We need to understand that discouragement is the enemy's plan to keep God's people from fulfilling God's mission. If you are a child of God, hear me, if you are a child of God, Satan cannot have your soul. Okay, your eternity is secure. But here's what he can do. He can discourage you to the point to where you live a defeated life and you become totally ineffective in terms of building the kingdom of God. Since he can't have your soul, he wants the next best thing. He doesn't want you to win anybody else to the Lord. He doesn't want you to build any part of God's kingdom. He just wants you to fill this pew on Sunday morning, to feel like you're comfortable, to feel like you're secure and do nothing else. And if you begin working, he's going to discourage you to the point to where you don't want to do anything else for the kingdom of God. So we have to learn to deal with discouragement. And this is yet another reminder when we are doing God's work, we are going to be attacked by Satan, plain and simple. We are going to have to face the enemy's attacks. You can bet, you can just set your timer. At some point, Satan's going to attack you if you begin to do God's work. So you might as well get prepared for it. We see here again our friends, Samballot and Tobiah. We talked about them two weeks ago, but this time they're joined with the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. Look at verse 7. When Samballot, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. Just when progress is being made, the enemy finds out they, don't, they do not want the walls to be completed. I mean, think about this. Israel was once a great nation, a, a, a very opposing force a strong force in the region. Right now they are weak. These guys are enemies of the nation of Israel, and the last thing they want is for Israel to become a force to deal with again. And they, they first think, oh, they'll never get this done, but all of a sudden they look up and they're halfway done. And they think, oh, we've got to do something here. If we don't, if we let them, them finish these walls, suddenly Israel's back and they're strong, and we've got a, a situation on our hands, to quote Barney Fife. We've got a situation here. That's what they're thinking. And so they say, okay, well, we've got to act now, and we've got to deal with this situation so that hopefully we can stop this before they get done. 
The enemy, here's Satan's, one of Satan's tactics. The enemy wants to wreck our walk with God, and the enemy wants to wreck our work for God. Again, he can't have your soul, but what he can do is disrupt your life. He wants to wreck your walk with God so that you won't know what to do for God, and that ends up wrecking your work for God. You're not doing anything for the Lord. So the enemy pulls out the big guns, discouragement, Satan, one of Satan's favorite tools, discouragement. So what is discouragement? Well, let's look at the definition. Discouragement is a feeling of despair as you face obstacles, and we all have obstacles in our life. We're going to face difficult situations. We're going to face trials. It is a dagger that will stab your soul and your spirit, and if you're not careful, if you don't learn how to deal with it, you will get so down, so low, that you have to look up just to touch bottom. Discouragement will cause you to be so desperate, so down, that you don't feel like you can ever climb out of whatever hole that you find yourself in. And as long as you're breathing, there's one way in life that you can avoid, go through life and avoid discouragement altogether. Are you ready? One way. Stop breathing right now. Because if you are alive... There's breath in your lungs until Jesus comes back. You're going to have to face discouragement from time to time. It's a fact of life. It is a reality of life that we all that we're all going to have to face discouragement. Discouragement has been called Satan's number one calling card. It's his favorite tool to to use to attempt to keep you from the ministry that God has from you, the mission that he wants you to accomplish from building your life, from building your family, from building his kingdom, building your home, whatever it is. He uses discouragement. Why does he use discouragement more than anything else, I believe? Because if he can get you to be discouraged, he doesn't have to defeat you. You will defeat yourself. He doesn't have to waste any more energy on you. If he can get you discouraged, he can go on and work on somebody else. He doesn't have to worry. You're going to defeat yourself. Here's how we get discouraged. And the challenges of life, and life has its challenges, doesn't it? I mean, goals that you set that you don't achieve, heartache, hurt, disappointments in life. Life is full of challenges. And what happens is as we face the challenges of life, here's where we get into trouble. We take our focus off of Jesus and we place it on ourselves and our circumstances. The minute we take our focus off of Christ and place it on ourselves and get wrapped up in our circumstances, that is the point where we become discouraged because our focus is off. Jesus should be the center. He is the power. He is everything. And when we take our focus off of him, it's like, like Peter walking on the water. The minute he took his focus off of Jesus, what happened? He sank. When we take our focus off of Christ, we begin to sink into this deep, dark pit of discouragement. And if we don't deal with it right then, it can grow to dominate our lives. And here's what's happening. Some of you are being dominated by discouragement this morning, probably. And here's, what's ha here's what happens when you begin to become discouraged. Number one, you begin to doubt. You doubt God. You doubt his love for you. You doubt his plan for your life. And if you don't stop it then, you move on to number two, which is you get completely in despair. You become desperate and you, you walk away from the wall. You walk away from the build. I mean, how many people just off the top of your head can you think of that were here in this church at one point that have walked away from the build because of some form of discouragement? 
that have just left the church altogether. I'm not talking about going to another church. They've just left, and you don't even know where they are. Or you do know where they are, and you know they're just not involved anymore. I mean, people, it happens every day. Discouragement sets in. I begin to doubt, does God really love me? Does he really care about me? Does he really have a plan for my life? This can't be a part of his plan. And then if I don't stop then, eventually I walk away because what's the point in it all? What am I working towards? We drop out. Another thing, discouragement is contagious. It is a disease. It's a disease and it's very, very contagious. Once it starts, it catches. And, it, and it's easy to catch. It's highly contagious. And no one is immune, by the way. We're all susceptible to the disease of discouragement. But hear me. If discouragement is a disease, then Jesus Christ is the cure. If discouragement sets in when I take my focus off of him, one of the, the beginning steps to defeating discouragement is to put my focus back on him, which we'll talk about more in a few moments. But here's the thing. There's more here than meets the eye. And this just shows you how deceptive Satan really is. There's more here than meets the eye. The Jews were God's chosen people to bring about God's revelation of himself, his word, and ultimately his son. That's, that was God's plan. And, and we see that in Scripture. Romans 9, 1 through 5. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience is testifying to me with the Holy Spirit that I have intense sorrow and continual anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from the Messiah for the benefit of my brothers, my countrymen, my physical descent. Paul goes on, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. God's word was revealed through his people, the law, and, and more. The forefathers are theirs. And from them, by physical descent, came the Messiah. His son, the Messiah, comes through the nation of Israel, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. John 4.22, salvation is from the Jews. That's what that means. Jesus Christ was a Jew. From the Jews, God sent his Messiah through the Jews. So what's going on here, it's, this isn't just about a wall. Okay, Satan knows this. And he wants to disrupt God's plan. Because if he can destroy the nation of Israel at this point, that will frustrate God's plan of ultimately bringing the Messiah into the world. This isn't just about a wall being built or not. This is spiritual warfare. And it still goes on today. Discouragement is a tool that Satan uses, but it's not just about you and your life. Ultimately, he could care less about you. He's trying to disrupt God's plan. He's trying to keep more people from coming to Christ so that more people will spend eternity in hell separated from God. That's his goal. There's a bigger plan here. There's a bigger plan on God's part for his kingdom. There's a bigger plan on Satan's part in disrupting God's kingdom work. And that's what's going on here. But we've got to learn to deal with discouragement. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against Satan and the demonic forces that use flesh and blood to disrupt God's plan. We need to realize that it is bigger than us, and we need the strength of God. Second, discouragement can come from different directions as it turns faith into fear. Faith becomes fear. We see in verses 10 through 12, we see three different sources of discouragement here. The first one is ourselves. 
We can be a source of our discouragement. A lot of times we can be our greatest enemy, can't we? I mean, how many times have you, have I gotten in the way of, of something God was trying to do in my life? It happens all the time. We can be our, our greatest source of discouragement. Look at verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of our laborer fails, of the laborer fails, since there is so much rubble. We will never be able to rebuild the wall. You know, sometimes we get discouraged because of ourselves. The strength of our labor fails. They're tired. I get that. They've been working hard. They're halfway done. They've put a lot of work in. And now here comes those, those enemies again. Sam Ballot to buy, and they've gathered some more people. They're tired. There's so much rubble. Okay, remember, they're, they're halfway done. So there's not near as much rubble as there was before. But what's their problem? They're only focusing on what's not done instead of focusing on what they have, what the Lord has accomplished. I mean, they've got that glasses half empty mentality when they should be saying, praise the Lord, we're halfway done. No, we'll never get done. There's so much trouble, we'll never finish. Now go back to verse 6. What, were they, what is said about them in verse 6? They had the will to work. So somewhere between verse 6 and verse 10, oh, we'll never get finished. That's a pretty big turnaround, isn't it? Their, their faith is dwindling. Suddenly God's not able to do what God said he could do. Their faith in God is diminished. They're, they're right, though. They, they can't do it, but God can do it, and that's the issue. It's an issue of faith. They don't trust that God can finish their faith. And that's, again, Satan uses discouragement. They're beginning to doubt God. Can God really do this? Well, we can't. We can't finish. And they can't. Only God can. Sometimes we discourage ourselves. Another source is our adversary. And we have an adversary. Satan is our adversary. And he uses different people to, to oppose us. As we see here, verse 11, our enemies said they won't know or see anything until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. If you desire to build, if you want to build disciples, if you want to build your family, if you want to build a church, if you want to build the kingdom of God, you better get ready for the heat of the enemy because he's going to oppose you. D discouragement, let's just call it what it is, okay? It is a tool from the pit of hell that Satan uses to kill your passion for the work of the Lord, your vision, your desire to reach the lost, your desire to build the kingdom of God, and the mission that you're on and attempting to complete, building your life, building God's church, building his kingdom. It's a tool from the pit of hell that Satan uses to kill your passion, your vision, and your mission. That's what it is. Understanding what it is is important because that helps us to understand what's at stake here. Satan wants to disrupt the work that we're attempting to do for the Lord, that God has called us to do. Satan wants to wreck your mission for God, and he wants to wreck your work for God. A third source is God's people. God's people can be a source of discouragement. Look at verse 12. The Jews who lived nearby, when they arrived, they said to us time and again, everywhere you turn, they're going to attack us. They, now, now pay attention to this. These are Jews, God's people, who were not living in the city. Where were they living? They lived nearby. Nearby who? They lived with the enemy. They were living outside the city limits with the enemy. They were God's people, and they came back into the city for what purpose? Hey, guys, we're one of y'all. 
listen, these guys, they're going to come in here and they're going to kill every one of you and your family if you don't stop doing this. They're God's people who are living with the enemy, they're cuddled up with the enemy, and they've come back for the sole purpose of disrupting the work that God is doing. Today, these would be Christians who have snuggled up with the culture, who have become accustomed and are practicing and believe, have adopted the philosophy of today's culture. They say they believe in God, but yet they're living their lives in a way that does not reflect that in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But they claim to be God's people. And this shows us that one of the greatest threats to the work of God is carnal Christianity. I claim to follow Christ. I do that on Sunday, but then I live like the world the rest of the week. I come to church on Sunday and I do the Jesus thing, but then when I get out in the rest, with the rest of the world, I'm going to live my life however I want. That buffet Christianity, right? I go through the Bible, I pick what I like, and I leave back what I don't because I'm in charge of my life. And who is God to tell me how to live? You may not be that bold in your defiance, but your life reflects that. That's carnal Christianity. And nothing will cause discouragement in the church more than that because carnal Christians are not in any way in tune to God's will for their lives or for the church, yet they tend to be vocal. And that's what's happening here. God's people, supposedly, they're supposed to be God's people, have snuggled up with the enemy, and they are basically saying, guys, this just isn't going to work. Y'all might as well give up. And if you do keep going, they're going to kill you and your whole family. You, you better stop. God hates dissension among the brethren. Proverbs tells us that. And I, you know, I, I would tell you, if you fall into this category in love, I, stop. <laughs> because if you don't, and listen, it's not about me, but if you don't stop, God eventually will stop you. All right? And, and, and listen, this, is, this church, and one of the things that has impressed me the most about this church coming in is that this church is a loving church, I, and, and y'all have loved on us and, and welcomed us. There's unity in this church. Don't, don't misunderstand. If you're visiting today, I'm not preaching this because there's some problem going on. I mean, I'm new, but to my knowledge, there's not. This is a great church. There's unity, but folks, we cannot take that for granted. If we do, Satan will move in. He'll cause discouragement. If we don't work on building unity and maintaining unity, Satan will get in any way he can. He'll cause discouragement. And a lot of times he uses God's people to start that. We've got to be careful. We've got to make sure that we are in tune with the Lord and that we are faithful to the Lord and living and building the way he wants us to build. Look at verse 13. It works. Their faith turns to fear. Verse 13. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas, I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. He said, okay, well, they're going to come. Let's get ready for them. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord. He's remind, reminding them, folks, the same God that started this, his hand is still in this. Remember the awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. God doesn't want you to be defeated by discouragement. Are you discouraged? Some of you may be discouraged today. If you are, you don't have to stay that way. Look at number three. Discouragement, how do we get out of it? Discouragement is defeated when we intentionally turn our focus off of ourselves and our circumstances and onto our almighty God. You want to de defeat discouragement, step number one is get your focus off of what's going on in your life and focus back 
on your Savior. There are five ways that we defeat discouragement. The first is this. Intentionally turn your focus off of yourself and circumstances and focus on Jesus again. Because the way you got in this position in the first place is at some point you took your focus off of the Lord and you put it on your circumstances. The nation of Israel, they, in verse 6, they were, hey, we're all about this. We've got a mind to work. God's hand is in this. Let us arise and build. We're ready to do it. By verse 10, they've taken their focus off of what God is doing. His hand is in this. Now they're focused on our circumstances. There's too much rubble. There's too much work. We'll never finish. Our enemies are going to kill us. Their focus is now on their circumstances. What they need to do is turn back. Look at verse 9. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. You want to know how to get your focus back? First step is watch and pray. Watch and pray. Look for where the Lord is, is working. Pray to Him. Depend on Him. Verse 14, Nehemiah. He says, After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember, get your focus off of them and put it where? Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons, your daughters, and your wives and homes. And then verse 20, he says, when you, whenever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. God will fight for us. Take your focus off the circumstances. Put it back on the Lord because he's able. And he can give us victory. Nehemiah, through praying and remembering God's power, is turning the attention off of the people, off of their circumstances, and back to the Lord. This is a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, spiritual battle, and we need spiritual, supernatural power to be able to do this. Because turning my focus off of myself and my circumstances and back to the Lord is a matter of the will. And that's a difficult thing to overcome. Your will can be a powerful thing. And so I need the power of God. You know, there, there are things in life that's going to happen, and, and it's, logically it's not going to make sense. You're not going to understand why those things are happening in your life. Your emotions are not going to feel good about it. Sometimes bad things are going to happen. You're not going to feel good about it. And so the, the, the ability, being able to, to take my mind and my focus off of those confusing, hurtful, painful circumstances at times, taking my mind off of those and placing my focus back on Jesus is a very difficult thing. And it's only possible by the power of God and living in total submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit working in and through me to give me that peace that passes all understanding, to guard my heart against discouragement and Satan's attacks, and give me the ability to, to take my focus off of my circumstances and place them back. It takes commitment. Lord, I'm going to focus on you, and I'm going to trust you. Regardless of what's going on in my life, the turmoil, I'm going to focus on you. John Maxwell said this. He said, you may not be able to control what you're going through, but you can control how you're going through it, how you go through it. I mean, I can't control the things that happen to me. That's beyond my control. For whatever reason, God allows bad things to happen sometimes. But what I can control is how I face it, how I deal with it. What I can control is by the power of God made available to me, I can focus on Him instead of my circumstances. When we turn our attention to Christ, when we, pay, when we pray and when we depend on Him, when we understand that the battle is His, then it's easier to maintain our focus. The second key is that we need to identify and strengthen the weak areas of our lives. 
If we're going to defeat discouragement, we've got to identify and we have to strengthen, fortify the weak areas of our lives. Look at verse 13. Nehemiah says, I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall. These were sections that weren't as far along. They were weak areas in the wall. So he reinforced those areas at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. Nehemiah identified the weak areas in the wall, and that's where he put the most energy. You and I need to identify the weak areas in our lives, and we all have them. We need to identify those areas, and that's where we need God's strength the most. We need to strengthen. Lord, show me the weak areas in my life so that I can strengthen them. Here's how you do that. You do it by spending time in prayer with the Lord, studying the Bible, memorizing Scripture so that you can use that when you're tempted, just as Jesus did, memorizing Scripture and walking in fellowship and communion with God. That's how you strengthen the weak areas of your life and through accountability. You need people to hold you accountable to help strengthen you. That's how we strengthen those weak areas. Third, in order to defeat discouragement, we need to keep fighting because we know what we're fighting for. Keep fighting because you know what you're fighting for. Look at the second part of verse 14. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for who? Fight for your countrymen, for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Paul said, I have fought for the good fight. I have fought the good fight. We fight for each other, fight for your countrymen, we fight for each other because the mission is that valuable. What, what's at stake? Lost souls are at stake. The cost is too great. So we fight for each other. I fight for my family because if I don't fight for my family, who's going to? I fight for my, my children, my wife. You fight for your children, your grandchildren, your spouse. We fight because if I don't, Who's going to? So we fight for our countrymen and we fight for our family. I'm going to fight. I, my commitment in my life is I'm going to be faithful. I'm going, by the power of God, by the mercy of God, I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my kids because the last thing I want my kids to see is me walking away from the wall. I want them, hey, listen, I'm not perfect, but I want them to be able to say, Dad taught me about Jesus and taught me how to build taught me how to follow the Lord, taught me how to love Jesus, and taught me how to share Jesus with others. We fight because the cost is too great. There are lost souls and there are little eyes that watch us. And if they see us walking away, we're teaching them that when, tough, when things get tough, just, just quit. God's not big enough to handle your problems. That's not what we need to teach our children. That's not what I want to teach my kids. Fourth, be balanced between building and battling. Be balanced between building and battling. Verse 15. When our enemies realized that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his work, his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work. Now listen to this. Half of my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all of the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. And, and, and listen to this part. The laborers who carried loads worked with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while building, and the trumpeter was beside me. Okay, so let me illustrate this for you. This was the only sword I could find, Timmy's lightsaber. So if you were building in Tatooine, this was what you would have to protect yourself. But here's the idea, okay? 
You've got half of the people who are soldiers who are geared up and they're ready to go. They're not building, they're standing guard. Then you have the other people who are working and essentially what's happening here is that they're working with a trowel in one hand and a sword in another. They're working and hey, if, if the enemy attacks, they're ready. The people that are standing guard will be joined by those people that are working because they too are suited up, they're ready to go. So there's a balance between building and battling. That's important because if all I do is, all I ever do is build and I never battle, I'm not, I'm not in this fight, then Satan's going to destroy what we're building. If all I ever do is battle and I'm not building, then what in the world are we fighting for anyway? We should be fighting for the kingdom of God. So there has to be a balance between building and battling. Those two things go hand in hand. If you work for the Lord, Satan will attack you. So you've got to be ready, but you also have to be building for the Lord. Because if not, then there's nothing to fight for anyway. And if you don't battle, Satan's going to destroy what you're doing. There has to be a battle. And hey, listen, funny, funny, ha-ha, lightsaber. But by the way, in all seriousness, what is our sword? Our sword is the Word of God. Ephesians 6 spells it out clearly. Our sword, this is our offensive weapon. So if I go out into the culture and I don't put this on me and in me, if I don't absorb the Word of God, I'm going out into the culture unarmed. I'm not prepared. So if I'm going to be prepared to do battle every day, if I'm going to be able to balance building and battling, then I've got to have the Word of God in my life. And I've got to be ready to use it at any point to battle the enemy. The sword of the Spirit is our weapon, and we have to be ready. There's got to be a balance between building and battling, and there does need to be a balance. Fifth, to defeat discouragement, listen for the trumpet. Listen for the trumpet. Look at verse 19. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. So here's the solution. Whenever you hear the trumpet, when you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So they're scattered all over the world, okay? They're all over the wall, I mean. And, and there are weak areas. There, there are a few places that are weaker. They're focusing on, on those weak areas, which means that may leave some other areas a little bit more vulnerable. So here's what he says. When you hear the trumpet sound, all of you converge on that area, and we will fight the enemy. The church is scattered all around the world, nations all over. Here, we're scattered in different homes, different places of business, different schools. We're scattered all over. The church is spread out. But one day, we need to listen for the sound of the trumpet because of what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4. We need to listen for the trumpet to defeat discouragement because in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The church is spread out, but one day the trumpet will sound, Jesus will return in the air, and the church all over the world will gather together, reunited with Christ in the air, and we'll go home and we'll be with Jesus in heaven forever where we'll never have to deal with discouragement again, ever. You want to defeat discouragement? Live your life listening for the trumpet. Live your life with your eyes on Christ, knowing that one day he will return. 
No more pain, no more death, no more suffering, certainly no more discouragement. Here's the philosophy that we have to adopt. We work for today with our eyes fixed on tomorrow, with our eyes fixed on Christ. The most discouraged people in the world, think about this, the most discouraged people in the world had to be the followers of Christ. The day he was arrested, they saw him arrested. They saw him beaten. They saw the mock trial. They saw him nailed to a cross, suffered, mocked on the cross. They saw him die. They put him in a tomb. Think about that the day after. How discouraged must they have been? But you see, Jesus knows how to defeat discouragement. You had the day after, but then you have a day called Easter. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He knows how to defeat discouragement because Jesus is alive. And one day, the trumpet will sound, and we're all, those of us who are building, will all get to go home and be with Christ. So we build, and we don't let discourage. And by the way, discouragement, the resurrection, it's not just for eternity. The resurrection power is for every day of life. We live each day in the power of the resurrection. That's how we defeat discouragement. But we continue to build, and we don't let discouragement stop us. I want to show you a picture. It's going to be kind of hard to see because it's black and white, but this is a lady. It's from July the 4th, 1952. Uh, this is Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick was a professional swimmer, and she had already swam the English Channel back and forth, and she wanted to attempt, attempt a feat that no other lady had done to that point in, in 1952. She wanted to swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California, 21 miles. She wanted to swim. No other woman had ever done it before, and she wanted to do this. So she set out to do this. She trained. She got ready. The day came for her to do it. She got in the water. The water was ice cold, but she got in. She began to swim. And there, at this day, there was, at this time of day when she began this swim, there was a fog, a thick fog over the water that made it just about impossible to see from here to that pew. I mean, she could barely see a few feet in front of her, a thick fog. But she began to swim, and she swam, and she swam, and she swam. There was a boat that followed her with friends to encourage her, family members to encourage her, but also sharpshooters with rifles because there were sharks nearby. At least on two different occasions, they had to shoot at sharks to get them away from her. But that, that didn't bother her. She kept going, and she kept going, and she kept going. For 15 hours, she swam. And then at 15, hour number 15, she stopped, and she said, I want to quit. I can't go anymore. Well, her fr family and friends in the boat, they encouraged her. So she stopped trading water, and she started swimming again for a few more minutes. She went as far as she could go, and she just had to quit. I can't do it anymore. She got into the boat. But because the fog was so thick, she didn't realize she had swam 20 and a half of the 21 miles. She was a half a mile from shore. She said, it wasn't the cold water that got me. It wasn't the sharks. It was the fog. If only I could have seen the shore, I would have made it, she said. Two months later, she got back in the water. Same cold water, same sharks, same weather conditions. But this time she swam differently. She swam with faith. Even though she couldn't see the shore, she knew it was there. So she kept swimming. And not only did she make it, she beat the men's time by two hours. So ladies, there you go. She swam with faith. Now listen, folks. 
As we swim through life, the fog of discouragement can hit your heart and it can hit your eyes. It can be so thick sometimes that you want to quit. But don't quit. Don't give up. Look past the fog with eyes of faith. See the other shore. There's a real place called heaven. Look who's standing on the shore. Jesus Christ is there and he's waiting. And through that thick fog, one of these days, the trumpet will sound. He will return and we will all go home. So don't stop swimming. Don't quit. Don't give up. Serve the Lord. Serve God. Keep fighting. Keep building. Because one day we get to go home and praise God. None of this pain, none of this discouragement will ever exist. It will be all Jesus, all worship, all the time, heaven, eternity, perfection with our Savior. Keep fighting because what we are fighting for is too valuable to give up. Keep building, keep fighting because we know what we're fighting for. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for allowing us to be a part of the build. Lord, it can get discouraging at times. It can be tough. Satan is very real. His attacks are very real. Discouragement is an incredible tool that he uses very effectively. We recognize that, but we also recognize that by, by your strength and your power, we can maintain our focus on you. We can take our focus off of our circumstances, focus on you, use the weapon, the sword of the Spirit, make it a part of who we are and use it daily as we fight this battle with Satan through your power, your strength, the Holy Spirit living through us. We know that we can defeat discouragement. But Lord, we have to depend on you. And the only way that can happen is first if we belong to you. So, Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, doesn't have a personal relationship with you, God, I pray that during this time of commitment, they would come and allow me to show them how to, show them how to make that most important decision. For those of us who know you, God, you equip us and give us the tools we need every day to fight and to battle and to continue to overcome discouragement. But, God, we have to trust you. We have to commit to you. We have to believe in you even when life seems to be turning against us. Even when the challenges come, and they do come, Lord, we have to maintain our our faith and, and we have to trust you and present our requests to you with thanksgiving, knowing that you'll give us that peace that goes beyond all human comprehension, that, that guards our hearts and minds. And, and Lord, you stand guard over our hearts. We have to depend on you every day. Lord, there may be other decisions you're leading us to make. Public decisions, church membership, baptism, whatever it is. You may just be leading us to spend the next few moments in your presence, talking to you and hearing from you, recommitting ourselves to you. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that we would respond with obedience this morning. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?